In this Gospel reading, Jesus makes this famous statement, I am the Good Shepherd. I am the Good Shepherd. And, and so this passage raises the question, are we following the Good Shepherd? Who are you following? Who is your spiritual leader? If uh, we were to go outside the walls of this church and into the neighborhood here and, and conduct an informal poll and ask people that question, who is your spiritual leader? We'd get a variety of answers, wouldn't we? Maybe uh, our Jewish friends and neighbors would say that Moses gave us the Torah and, and we follow the Torah. So in a sense, Moses is our spiritual leader, our spiritual guide. There would be uh, Muslims who would say that Muhammad is their spiritual leader. Josie and I have acquaintances that are Hindu, and um, when you go to their house, it's very clear that they are devoted to particular Hindu deities. Those are their spiritual guides. Some people might say, if we ask that question, well, I don't really follow a religion or a religious leader. I kind of look to myself. Uh, there was a famous book in the 1980s by a sociologist named Robert Bella, and he was trying to discern through his studies where American culture is headed. And um, he interviewed a woman named Sheila. And she said, well, I, when she asked about her religion, she said, well, I just kind of pick and choose from different religious traditions. So I don't think I really have a religious leader. And then she said, well, I guess my religion is Sheilaism. She looked to herself. I think there are many people like that. But who do you follow? Who is your religious authority? Jesus, in this chapter, John chapter 10, is claiming to be the religious leader and he's countering the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees. They're in an argument and the argument started because Jesus had healed a man who had been born blind on the Sabbath. And so that violated the religious rules, the man-made rules of the Pharisees. And they were incensed at Jesus that he would violate. Their, they didn't really have compassion on the man who, who was healed, but they were upset that Jesus had violated their religious rules. And they actually kicked the man out of the temple and excommunicated him. And so Jesus went back and he said to these Pharisees, you're the ones who are blind. I healed this man who was born blind, but you are spiritually blind. You're not seeing what God is doing in me. They're the hirelings. They're the ones that are the hired hands who don't really care for the sheep because they're not doing what God is calling them to do. And so Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And then in the course of this passage, he elaborates why that's the case. Why is Jesus the good shepherd? Why should we follow him? Why should we continue to follow him when there's all these different options, spiritually speaking? Why should we call other people to follow Jesus? I want to look at that and try to answer that question based on our reading today from John chapter 10. So the first reason uh, we should follow Jesus, the first reason he's our good shepherd is that he died for us. He sacrificed his very life for us. He says in verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And this is a reference to his work on the cross. This is a prediction of what he's going to do. This shows us how much he cares. And, and did you notice how oftentimes Jesus says that in this passage? He really is stressing this point about laying down his life. 
Verse 15, just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because here it is again. I lay down my life. That I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, verse 18, but I lay it down of my own accord. In other words, Jesus is saying, nobody's forcing me to do this. No one's taking my life from me. I'm not going to be a tragic victim, but out of my own desire, out of my love for the sheep and obedience to the Father's will, I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. He's talking about his death and resurrection, but the emphasis here is on his sacrificial love for the sheep, laying his life down. This is the proof of his goodness and of his care and of his love for us. And Jesus clearly expected that his followers, not only the people he's talking to in the first century, but through the centuries would be loyal to to him because they would remember the sacrifice he made for them. That his sacrifice would bind us in loyalty to him. He says later on in this gospel, no greater love has a man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends And you are my friends if you keep my commandment. And the commandment there is the commandment to love. And we read about that in 1 John. If you love one another, you prove yourself to be a friend. You're in the sphere of Jesus' loving influence. And so you become a more loving person. Jesus wants us to remember the loving sacrifice that he made. That's why he gives us the Lord's Supper. He gave us the Eucharist as a sacrament so that through the ages, the church would always recount. He wanted to be remembered by his sacrifice so that that would drive our loyalty to him. So to the question, why Jesus? I would say, who else has done this for you? Who else has given his life for you? Who else has died a horrific death in your place, in my place, so that you can have life? Who else was innocent, but yet took upon your guilt and shame so that you could be declared right with God? No one but Jesus Christ. There was a Japanese uh, Christian named, I'm not going to get this name right, I don't think, Toyohiko Kawaga. It's about as good as it gets. Toyohiko Kawaga. And uh, Mr. Kawaga had a great ministry in Japan before World War II. And he ministered in the slums of Japan. And he even had an audience with the emperor of Japan. He had 30 minutes to explain the gospel to the emperor of Japan. But what really struck uh, Mr. Kawaga is the idea, and he was coming out of different religious traditions, Eastern religions, but this idea of self-sacrifice is what really caused him to follow Jesus. He, he writes this in one of his books. He said, I owe much to the face of Shinto, uh, Buddhism, Confucianism. I learned a spirit of reverence, a, a craving for values that transcend this earth from the Eastern religions. But he said, these three faiths, Shinto, Buddhism, and Confucianism, fail to minister to my heart's deepest needs. Buddhism teaches great compassion. But since the beginning of time, who has ever declared, this is my blood shed for you and shed for the sins of the whole world? Christ sacrificing himself, shedding his blood for the sins of the world is the revelation, the very revelation of the love of God. 
And so he's saying, I knew all these other religions. I've been influenced by these other religions. But when I heard of Christ dying for me on the cross, I had to follow him. I said, that's my Savior. That's my Lord. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life. And so that's why we should follow him. And then Jesus adds another element. He says that I know my sheep and and my sheep know me. Verse 14. He's the good shepherd because he knows us and he calls us into a personal relationship with him. He's not distant. He's not aloof. And I think one thing that's so compelling about the Christian view of God is that we worship a personal God. He's been revealed to us personally in Jesus Christ. It's not just about knowing God intellectually, being able to pass a theology, theology exam. It's not about just having a moral code to live by or performing a set of rituals or rules. It's an invitation to know God personally, to be involved in a personal relationship with him. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd because I know my sheep and they know me. I just read the other day an account by a Indian, a missionary to India. And he was talking about his time in India in a village that was very poor and remote. And he ministered to the untouchable, the lowest caste in, in Indian society. And he said, these, these folks were so poor. They were literally dirt poor. They, they could only take jobs that would give them a hand-to-mouth kind of existence. They were day laborers. When the work wasn't there, they had nothing. They couldn't even walk on the same road that the upper caste walked on. They couldn't drink from the same well as the upper caste drank from. They were excluded systematically and made to feel inferior. And this missionary said, when I was there, I taught them some things about agriculture. I taught them how to grow a garden. I I talked to them about techniques for farming that would sustain them physically. But he said, in the end, as I look back, that wasn't that important. What was important was I shared with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is a God who knows you. Everybody else says you're insignificant, but God says you're significant. And that is what lifted them up. And he said, these people were so used to looking down. But after hearing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they could look up to a father who says in Jesus Christ, I know you, I care about you. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every one of us in this room can know that God knows us through Jesus Christ. He says, I am the good shepherd who knows his sheep and my sheep know me. How do we get to know Jesus Christ? How do we grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ? Well, it's the same way we get to know anybody. It's through listening to them. It's through conversation. It's through hearing their words. And Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. He says that at the beginning of chapter 10. It's not in your bulletin, but verses three and four. He says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep, listen, the sheep follow him for they know his voice. They know his voice. And then in our passage, he says in verse 16, I have sheep that are not of this fold. He's talking about the Jewish people. The the sheep include the Jewish people, but he's saying it's going to extend beyond the people of Israel. I have sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And listen, they will hear. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one global flock, one worldwide flock and one shepherd. That is Jesus. But we get to know him by hearing his voice. My grandfather was a farmer, not not sheep. He wasn't a shepherd, but he was a cattle farmer. And I remember as a young boy, sometimes going with him into the fields 
in his old uh, GMC, I can still see it, red and striped white pickup truck. And he would throw some bales of hay in this truck and we'd go out into the fields and he, would, he had this distinctive call to call to the, the, the... I won't try to replicate it here. It would be very embarrassing. You would get a kick out of it, but I can still remember <laughs> him saying this. And I couldn't do it. But when he called the cattle, they would start, you know, they would perk up and start kind of moving towards, slowly lumbering towards uh, the, the, the truck and the, the hay. Because when they heard that voice, they knew there was provision. They knew they were going to be nurtured. They knew that food was provided for them. And it's the same way in our life. When we have heard the Lord Jesus call out to us at different seasons of our life, we said, that's what I need. He's the one that's going to sustain me. He's the one through his voice who's promised the forgiveness of sins. And I need to be forgiven. He's the one who has promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I need to know the presence of God. He's the one who's promised eternal life and my hope for eternal life is in him. He's the one who will lead me in the valley of the shadow of death so I can fear no evil for he will be with me. Just quoted that the other day at a graveside. He is the good shepherd and he is the one that I'm going to count on. And it's it's an act of grace that God allows us to hear the voice of Jesus calling to us and we can trust in his voice. And we need to continue to to listen to the voice of the shepherd. I don't know about you, but when you hear Jesus say, I am the good shepherd, is there an image, a picture of Jesus that is in your mind? What's the picture? Maybe you're maybe it's something like I have, which is Jesus. I, I saw this picture cuddling a little lamb. OK, and that's a comforting image. And there's truth to that, that he does comfort. But guess what? The, the shepherd in Palestine was not just the cuddler of woolly lambs. He was a ruler over the flock, right? He had to keep them in check. He's not just a color of woolly lambs. He's guiding stubborn, wayward sheep, sheep that get stuck in the hedgerows and hung up on fences and, and are, are prone to get lost and wander away from the flock. And the shepherd needs to drive and call them back in. And that's like us. We need to continue to listen to the voice of Jesus because we get distracted. We go off. We get hung up. We can leave the flock. And yet he keeps calling back to us through his word. And that's why we have to expose ourselves to his voice continually. That's why we come to worship. That's why we study the Bible. That's why we need to, as the Anglican prayer says about the Bible, mark, study, read, inwardly digest the words of Christ. Because it's through his word that he speaks to us. We get to know him and he calls us to know know him. So he's the good shepherd because he lays down his life. He's the good shepherd because he calls us into this personal relationship. And then finally, very simply, he's the good shepherd because God has appointed him to be the good shepherd. Jesus says at the end of this passage, this is the charge that I've received from my father. And again, he's in conflict with the religious authorities of his day. He's in conflict with the Pharisees of his day. And they're saying, what right do you have to do these things? What right do you have to heal somebody on the Sabbath? And Jesus is saying, I'm not making this up as I go along. This is God at work in me. God is the one who's called me to lay down my life and be raised again. My voice is God's voice. The works that I do are the work of God working in me. This flock that I'm gathering is God's flock. Get on board with God. Stop being blind. Recognize what's happening in your midst. He concludes this discourse with this, this rather 
astounding statement. This is a zinger here in verse 30. It's not printed in your bulletin, but John 10, 30, he says this. I and the father are one. I and the father are one. And when the, the Jewish religious leaders heard this, they picked up stones to stone him. They said, this is blasphemy. He's saying he's one with God. But he meant there that what I'm doing is in complete unity with the will of God. Yes, it has to do with his divine nature as well. But in the context, he's saying what I'm doing is in complete unity with the will of God. And you are not seeing it. You're spiritually blind. Recognize what's happening. And so when Jesus said, I and the Father are one, John reports that it created a vision among the crowd. And it still does today. These high claims about Jesus Christ still creates division. Some people in the crowd said, he's insane. Other people said, he has a demon. And then some people in the crowd said, wait a second, if he has a demon, then why would he heal and restore sight to the blind? A demon doesn't do that. They said, let's consider the works here. Let's consider what we just saw. It tells us who he is and where he's from. This is a work of God in our midst. Today, people are still divided over Jesus, aren't they? People are still offended at the suggestion that he is one with the Father and that he is not just a way to God, but he is the way. But in our Acts reading, Peter proclaimed this, there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name. And Peter was saying that in a culture that found that just as offensive as we might. It was just as scandalous to say that in his religiously pluralistic culture as it is to say it in ours. So how can Peter make such a claim? Why did he make such a claim? Why did he say follow Jesus only? Well, because of the resurrection, because of the greatest sign that God gave us about Jesus, his son. And, and Peter says, you handed him over to death, but God raised this man from the dead. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. And that's why we should follow him. That tells us who he is and where he's from. The fact of the resurrection verifies all the claims that Jesus made about himself. And Peter goes on and says, God is doing something new. God is laying a new foundation. And Jesus is the cornerstone of this new temple. That's going to include all people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue. He's the good shepherd that's going to rule over a global flock. God has appointed him to this place. And the resurrection verifies. Jesus says, this charge I received from my father. So, to wrap it up here, just to summarize, why should we follow Jesus? There's going to be opportunities to get distracted, to wander off away from the flock. In our religiously pluralistic culture, we want to respect people, of course, of other faiths and recognize that, that, that there's goodness in those people. But there's one way of salvation, one name. And we don't want to be tempted to be drawn away and to dabble in other religious faiths because Jesus is the great shepherd. He's the one who gave his life for us. He's laid down his life. He's the one who knows us, has called us by name, invites us into a personal relationship with God.
He's the one who God raised from the dead and appointed him to this place of great prominence. He's the good shepherd. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to remain loyal to you. In the days ahead this week, there will be opportunities, there will be temptations to to fall away, to be distracted, to not trust your word. There will be times where we won't want to listen to your voice. There will be days where we might want to just ignore your voice. There will be moments to, to disbelieve. And in those moments, help us to remember that you're the one who laid down your life for us. And you're the one who loves us and demonstrated that personal love and personal knowledge. And you are the one who God raised from the dead. And you are our ruler. And you don't rule us with an iron fist, but you rule us with love and grace and care. And so help us submit to your rule. Because we know where you lead us, there is life, abundant life. And there's blessing and there's sustenance and nurture. You lead us beside still waters and you restore our soul. Help us to trust that, Lord Jesus, this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.